much, Colette, for joining us here on the podcast. I'm so excited. You're a new brand partner. You're new to your business. So I can't wait for the Bold Swim community to hear all about it, hear all about our partnership, what you've been up to, what we hope to achieve together. So um, without further ado, I'll let you take over. Thanks, Tiffany. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Um, so first and foremost, hi, everyone listening. I'm Colette Johnson, uh, one of the founders and the CEO of the PS Collective. I'm located in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and my co-founder, Francesca Donadoni, is actually located in London. Um, very funny story about how we got to um, link up and be connected, but we can get into that a little bit later. I'll tell you a little bit about the PS Collective. So the PS Collective is an online marketplace that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to extract women's measurements and provide a curated shopping experience mm -hmm. for them. Really, the goal of the PS Collective is to um, shine a light on the underserved markets within um, fashion and be able to just make it easier for them to be able to find clothes that fit and flatter without um, any struggle. And I think I met you, Tiffany, got to be two years at this point, um, two years ago. And I really loved the sustainable and inclusive elements of your brand um, and being able to see that come through the photos that was on your Instagram. I think that's how I, I first um, stumbled across you. Um, I, I had to reach out. And then, you know, on top of that, it was inspirational just to see, you know, another woman of color um, making waves in the fashion industry. Waves, pun intended. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I, I, I think I reached out to you initially just to learn from you and to understand what your um, experience has been in the industry and um, where you saw that there was gaps that needed closing and just understanding um, your current struggles in, in uh, trying to reach your consumer or, um, you know, have that deeper understanding and connection connective tissue using data and and what that looked like today and what you were hoping to get from it tomorrow so honestly that first conversation that we had really inspired me um and i incorporated a lot of what we talked about in um the first iteration of what the ps collective is today Amazing. I love it. I love when we can like make, make each other better and just learn from each other. You definitely inspire me. Just just another collective of Black founders just being able to take on these big challenges in fashion, make it our own, have representation, but also make it in, an inclusive space for everyone, right? And I think that's what both of our brands set out to do. And I think that's why it's a natural partnership between the both of us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the more I did research um, in my target market, understanding the brand, who we are, who we wanted to be, the more shocked and appalled I was at um, kind of the state of the fashion industry and how um, stale progress has been um, and just slow changing. Um, 
there are, there has been some strides for the better, um, you know, from an inclusivity standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint, but I would say that we still have a ways to go. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I realized too, is that the United States is very far back in its sustainability um, stance in mm -hmm. fashion. And given that, I mean, I'm sure you know this and um, I'm sure the listeners also know that fashion is the second largest polluter in the world. And that's not something that we can continue to sit back and, and just ignore. Um, I think it's our responsibility to make things better for the future. Absolutely. It, it's one of those things like we love and we we talk about the problems all the time and we talk about the love-hate relationship we have, but like you're right, we can't sit back. We definitely have a responsibility. We have the privilege to consume here in the Western world as much as we do, but we also have a privilege. And we, we talked about this with one of our other guests um, and partners, but it's a responsibility to be able to change the world we live in. And our demographics, and millennials and Gen Z are asking for it. I don't understand why we continue to have greenwashing. If if you're in a point where you're slowly making those changes, fine. Progress is better than perfection. But to to make the argument that it's not lucrative for businesses to do this is absurd. Because we're we're asking for we're making the change, we're changing our our dollars toward the better, and we're investing in those better and smaller brands that make the difference. And the, and you see it so fast that. Other big brands, I love it. They're partnering with smaller brands that are in this space, but we also need them to do their part. We love the partnership. We love the highlighting. We love the co-branding that we get as smaller brands. But we also need the big brands to take the responsibility to make the changes because when they make the change, it makes it so much better for the rest of the supply chain. The supply chain is not just materials and you know things like that. It's the people involved. It's the, the processes and the infrastructure that we're calling for hopefully not to have government oversight, but we, we need some some infrastructure. There, there's nothing wrong with the word structure. I don't know if we need government, but we need some type of regulation to make sure everyone's pulling their weight and doing their part so everyone can succeed. Wow. I There's so much there that I want to address um, and that I agree with. I think with privilege definitely comes responsibility and a necessity for action. I think, you know, if if I could speak first to the consumerist nature of, you know, America and and I remember I tell this story all the time because I think it's relatable for me and and I personally had a journey um where I used to be quote unquote a shopaholic. I loved shopping. I loved um, you know, buying clothes and, and leaning into the latest fashion trends. And I remember I grew up in a suburb in Jersey and the thing to do on Friday nights was to go shopping at the mall with your friends, you know, and then on the weekends with nothing to do, my mom would ask us to go shopping with her at the mall. So I spent probably two to three days a week in the mall mm -hmm. and you know 
with that comes buying things. Did I need them? No. Did I, eventually it just didn't bring me pleasure. You know, I was shopping just for the sake of shopping because I was there. I think I um, fell into the traps that they, that I feel like um, commercialization kind of pushed on us, which, uh, you know, if you're sad, use shopping as a way to make yourself happy. If you're Retail therapy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and what I realized is that to a point, it just made no sense for my lifestyle anymore. I was, you know, the more I bought, especially um, when I was in college and I started doing a lot more online shopping, the less I would wear because I would develop a pile of clothes that either needed to be tailored or um, just didn't fit me the way that I visualized online. And not only was I wasting money, I was just producing a lot of waste for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think all of those things got me thinking. Um, and then I started working at, at Nordstrom um, also while I was in college. And I really started to appreciate quality clothing and how it can make someone feel to be in quality clothing that fits their body. I don't know if you've ever, like, there's a difference in the, I guess, the the um, appreciation that someone has. You can tell, you can see it in their face when they are um, feel, you know, like they're in a piece of clothing that they don't enjoy versus putting on something that maybe they didn't think would look good on them. But I think, I think you're right. I think the biggest thing that we have to make an analogy to that is tailoring or mm-hmm. a couture, right? Couture is just the tailoring of this very structured garment that fits the body in the way that it's supposed to be fitted. Draping, um, there's, there's a lots of elements and, you know, technical things that go into a, producing a garment. But I think you're right. When you have a tailored, like my wedding dress, that has to be fitted to my body. Like I was thinking, you know, I, I know, but I didn't know. And I got the dress, loved it. And I was like, oh, we don't need to do alterations. They were like, no. And then once the alterations were completed, I was like, oh my God, I get it. I get it for other pieces of clothing. But when you get it for, you know, just your everyday t-shirt or your everyday pair of jeans that has an intentionality behind it, it makes you appreciate because in a way we do this already. We, we edit and we return what doesn't fit us correctly. And it's not that we don't like necessarily the garment. We may return because the quality's not there or these other things, or there's buyer's remorse and all the things that fall under that, but we're really returning it because we don't like the way it fits. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, it's my belief. Um, and thus the, the belief of the BS collective that fit is really at the crux of a lot of the issues we see in fashion, including waste, um, including being more intentional about what we're purchasing. Um, I think there's another conversation about trends and uh, fast fashion, but um, I think when we talk about the real issues of why, you know, brands sometimes suffer a lot of returns, why, you know, people feel 
there's a, an increase in um, just body um, uncomfortable, uncomfortability um, is around fit. And just to go a little bit deeper into that, I think, again, something that I personally experienced um, during COVID, being inside, you know, eating a lot, um, my body changed, yeah. right? And, you know, now coming out of COVID, going to more events, a lot of the clothes that I had previously don't fit me. And that in itself is like, I think our society has made it to, to be, to make ourselves feel bad about not being able to fit into our clothes. But I think it should be the other way around. When I go shopping in a store, I shouldn't, if I'm going for, let's say my size is a medium and I'm putting on a medium and it's super tight on me, that's not going to make me feel great. Nope. And there's still some things I think in the industry that they work on vanity sizing. So this was this long-standing issue in the industry, and it used to be, you know, I think even before the '60s, like vanity sizing was thing with the advent of marketing and advertising and wanting women to have these hourglass figures and shapes and things. And just the way people have evolved over time. We used to be bigger. Now we're smaller. Now we're a mix of all these things. Um, we have all these chemicals in our food. We have you know, the environmental changes that make us, you know, sedimentary at each time. So there's a lot of different things and life cycles and health issues that affect, especially women's weight. The most, <laughs> I think nobody talks about this, but we are the most impacted by these changes. And that's what, you know, even in our tagline, we talk about Bold Swim is a sustainable and inclusive design for fit and comfort and versatility. So those things that you talked about earlier, the PS Collective tackling is that fit. We want to be able to fit in our clothes. We want it to look appropriate. And it's not just about preference. It's more about, like you said, com comfort. So sustainability should not be hard. And it shouldn't make you, shopping shouldn't make you feel bad. Yes, it makes you feel great outside of the retail therapy because you, you know, you need these things sometimes. But it should make you feel good. And there's plenty of times, like, I am not a medium. I am, you know, an XL, 12 to 16 on a good day in a different brand, right? But I should go on the same stores, have the same options and selections as you, because I don't look like another size 16, which they always try to demonstrate as this round type of avatar, this body type. That's not my body type. So I get disappointed quite often. And there's not a lot of options. So we talk about these brands and these collectives such as yourself to be able to bring these, these um, options of availability to this different market. And that's why I started my brand as well. Yeah, I, again, a lot of great things here, right? Like, I think something to put sizing into perspective and how arbitrary it is, is you know, think back to the height of Twiggy. Twiggy was a size eight. Mm -hmm. Today, Twiggy would be considered a size double zero. Wow, so wild. To me, that's insane. That's just, that's 
how vanity sizing has changed the way that we think about size. Now, on top of that, think about other complications. We understand that thrift shopping is also big right now. Given that shift in vanity sizing over the years, a size eight from, you know, a piece from the 80s is going to be different from a size eight today. So thrift shopping has its own, like, struggles that people, you know, face when they're trying to shop for clothes in, in um, thrift stores. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then to, just the availability, depending on the location, the, you know, geographical location that they're in, the amount of, you know, availability to even donate to these stores that get a lot of the thrifts or the Plato's closet, the Buffalo exchanges, the mm -hmm. uh, crossroads, all of these places, right? Yeah, so I think um, we're probably going to see an increase in some some sort of technology to be able to help within the thrift store space um, in the future as well. So really, really fascinating changes coming to fashion, um, especially with the convergence of tech and sustainability. So I'm really excited to be able to um, play our own role in that and, and get to witness that. But um, something interesting that you also mentioned was body shape. I think the United States is also in a very unique place where it's made up of a melting pot of, of many different backgrounds, cultures, and, you know, with the latest census information that came out, we are the most diverse that we've ever been. And, you know, soon we're going to be in a majority minority, um, you know, nation. That's something that's uncharted territory for, I think, a lot of brands. And, you know, something that Bold Swim and others like myself, I think, realize is there is money there. And when you speak to consumers on a one-to-one -one basis and um, understand their different backgrounds, their different cultures, what makes them them, it breeds it breeds loyalty and um, comfortability and trust. I don't know if you see that on your end. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I often get this and people are like, oh, you don't have, you know, plus size models. I said, no, we've been very intentional since the founding of our company. That's why I founded it to have different sizes, different ethnicities, because there's value in the diverse nature of us and there's value in representation. And that's from, you know, we're doing better, getting better about, you know, having non-binary customers show up on our platform, not from like just a marketing ploy or tactic. This is something that is foundational. This is why we were started. And, you know, we have customers that are non-binary. So we're bringing those solutions to have more of the representation in marketing, more representation in, you know, the products that we offer, because I know I've looked across, you know, other sites and they only have this, you know, either traditional cisgendered male shorts. Well, we know that women wear shorts. Women have been the biggest quote unquote cross-dressers since the, the history of time, you know, 
the boyfriend jeans, taking our husband's boyfriend's shirt or pants or things that, you know, fit or would normally be baggy on us. Um, and then bringing solutions that are not just like unitards or, you know, these body suits that give them more style in um, not having just a, you know, you, there's a way to be proud and inclusive about the space and the labels that you, you assign yourself, but not having it in a way where it's like, I just have to have this to just show. I can be a part of, you know, the LGBTQ plus Q community without having a rainbow in every single thing I wear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of fashion, right? It's being able to close the way I like to think about it is just an extension of who you are. Mm -hmm. And you, you said something earlier that really gets to the, the crux of um, the frustration that a lot of people feel if it's supposed to be an extension of who you are, but you don't see yourself reflected mm -hmm. or the options that you're looking for in your size how does that make you feel it it makes you feel like an outsider yep that you don't belong and you know then we go into hyperdrive or you know overcorrecting and trying to you know have all these which ends up being exclusive labeling across uh product categories you know not just fashion but everything and it's unfortunate absolutely and i I, when I was figuring out kind of where our brand wanted to go, I was just playing around with some concepts and what I, one of the things I accidentally ended up saying was that we were exclusively inclusive, but something about it had a nice ring to it that we only want to open our doors up to people who are open they want to learn about other cultures they're fully embracing of people who are who may be different from them um so you know i i think we're trying to create a different table we're not trying to join the big boys table you know i think if we want change we've been waiting long enough and you just have to take it into your own hands and create that change. Absolutely. I think that's, that's so key. Um, that's why, you know, I don't hide who I am as a founder. I know you don't as well, but you know, this is a black owned company. It's a black owned brand. That doesn't mean that I'm only going to cater to my specific culture or race. I want it to be inclusive. So even though it's black owned, it's black led, you know, we, we talk about having women founders, and women, you know, I also want it to be inclusive because I know if people start labeling it with the culture they identify with, that excludes a lot of other people that could have the benefit of having a well-fitted or well-intentioned um, product or quality product that they may want to share in. I, I agree with you. And I am laughing because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Mark, any good marketer is going to tell you that your core audience should not be everybody, right. you know, but I think there's 
a loophole where you can address everybody on an individual basis. And I think the way that the PS Collective is trying to achieve that is by partnering with a lot of independent um, designers and brands to be able to offer something for everybody. Of course, we're not there yet. We're not perfect yet. We just launched a couple of months ago. But I do think I was intentional in the brands that I did select to work with that run the gamut of, um, you know, not just type of clothing, for example, swimwear um, versus um, athleisure, et cetera. I think also the audiences that they address. So a lot of the designers and brands that I'm working with have their own intentionality, have their own missions and their own focus on specific audiences. And if I can bring that all together on one platform and pool our, our joint mission and our resources together to be able to actually shake up the industry and make a change, I think that that is where the success is going to come. It doesn't come, you know, I'm trying to remember the saying that my mom used to say about if you want to get there fast, you might you might pick up on what I'm trying to say. But if you want to get go there fast, go alone. If you want to go there, I cannot remember the saying. But essentially, the learning is you need to work together in order to achieve the best result rather than trying to go at it alone and just get by. Yeah. So I think you wait. And I had to look it up because I was like, I can't remember it. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yes. Yes. And I want to go far. I think you want to go far. So I'm glad we're, we're working together. Sometimes you have to go fast, which means you started alone. So we both as founders started alone with, you know, tackling these problems, but now we're doing it we want to go far, so we're doing it together. There's a lot of cross-branding. There's a lot of partnership. There's a lot of visibility, which started I for me with the with the pandemic back in 2020, and then this slow intentionality of building community, and hence why we're doing the podcast together. Um, you know, there's there's room for all of us, and there's um, even though we're brand partners and you're a platform for me, it's just reaching that demographic in a way that, you know, with your help and your your take on it helps me be even better for my customer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, to that point, it's also opening up conversation that I might not have known prior, you know, previous to us working together. I think one of the things that I realized um, in our first initial conversation was what brand owners and designers were looking for when it comes to integrating data within their everyday. And I will continue to ask those questions. I will continue to, um, you know, push the PS Collective and myself to be able to provide value. That's at the end of the day, that's the only thing. That's that's the reason why we exist, to provide value. 
Exactly. Exactly. So tell us what you've been up to the PS Collective, you and your co-founder. And then, you know, our topic for this month is about supporting sustainability well after Earth Day, well after Earth Month. And, you know, we're running this episode, we're recording this episode at the end of April, but it will be live in May uh, for that very intentional reason. After the celebration stops, after the greenwashing of the quick marketing turnaround for Earth Day, um, you know, how is the Bold Swim community PS Collective still supporting that intentional sustainability, you know, slow fashion? H how are you as a founder supporting that? Sure. So I'll address the, the sustainability piece first, and then I'll talk about um, some things that are coming down the pike. So from the sustainability standpoint, I think, um, you know, that goes to the very ethos of our brand and why we developed it um to try and eliminate waste and ultimately you know i have a longer term vision for the ps collective of um creating on demand um you know again you start slow you learn your audiences and you grow from there but i think the ultimate sustainability is understanding how to eliminate waste there's also the understanding of that sustainability doesn't just mean the waste that's being created, but also people. I think oftentimes when we talk about sustainability, we ignore the people piece. And I think there's a, a larger issue, not just outside of this country, also within it. Of... Say it again, say it again for me. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm so glad all of my partners feel this way in my community. Say yeah. that one more time. Absolutely. <laughs> sustainability doesn't just mean waste and our planet, but also our people that make up the planet. I think a lot of times, not just outside of this, outside of the United States, but also within it, I'm sorry, there's a siren. <laughs> no worries. We all live in the cities, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, um, but I think oftentimes, um, this piece of it is ignored within this is the larger sustainability conversation but i want to make sure that artisans and tailors seamstresses and you know workers that are the backbone of our society are also you know making fair wages and um you know have good working conditions that's one of my goals um, I, right now through a lot of my partners, we are achieving that I'm work. I've vetted all of my partners and making sure that, um, I understand the clothing process where everything is coming from and that, you know, I'm adhering to, um, that piece that's super important to me. Eventually I would also like to lean into other countries and, um, support artisans that are local to um, smaller communities in, in um, outside countries and be able to provide um, fair wages there for, um, you know, in some cases, designs and clothing that is of rich, rich culture that um, has been there for centuries but hasn't necessarily made its way um, to the United States, um, 
you know, on an everyday basis. So I want to be able to close the gap there. And I think lastly, just really being intentional about making sure that I'm working with other brands who um, are also taking their steps to be sustainable. Um, That doesn't always mean the same thing. I think for some brands, it might mean leaning into um, sustainable elements um, of, of fabric or clothing. And for some, it could be it could mean uh, pre-selling or creating in small batches, but really making sure that they're you know leaning into some aspect of sustainability because that that intentionality means that their mindset is in the same location that my mindset is, and ultimately we can come together to be able to just do our part um, and make that progress. I love that. I often, when I started this, I was like, okay, to me, it makes sense. So I had to get into my mind and my heart that this is what I was going to do. And it just made sense to me. It wasn't, you know, as a marketing employee, because back in, you know, what, five years ago, no one was really talking about sustainability. They were talking about transparency in the supply chain and logistics, which obviously translating to what it is now. And they're still like, you're right, there's differences, but it always meant to me, it's not a perfection. It's not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. So changing the hearts and minds and the reasons why we do these things and seeing this as, as, as valuable as, as lucrative, um, that something we should do, like, just because it's not broken, don't fix it. It is broken. You're just not seeing that it's broken because we choose not to. Um, that's why we had a lot of these factories collapse and, you know, these unfortunate in avoidable deaths. We had a lot of cancellations and orders when the pandemic started. There's so many reasons that the system is showing that it's broken. And, you know, a lot of the smaller brands that are sustainable, not only do we use, we talk about materials, but again, the mindset showing that these, these, where we get a lot of our products made is international. So we already kind of support that community. What we need to do better with, and I think most brands do this and myself included, is I don't negotiate what their rate is. If they tell me that this rate is sufficient and I know that, you know, I'm certifying that they don't use slave labor, child labor, any of that, these people are paid living wages according to their country, I'm not going to negotiate that. What that means for me is that my customer have to pay a little bit more, and that's why we see the prices we do in sustainability. But I know that, and I can sleep at night, that that person is not going hungry because I cut costs so I can continue to bring it over here and still mark it up well over what you know I could have just paid the person to manufacture. Because these are 100% handmade goods from, you know, we produce in Brazil, and we love our team. And the waste that gets created back, they take, and, you know, our other partner took them and they we donated the scraps to local artisans at no charge. They took the scraps, weaved them into, um, we call it kind of old school here now, but the toilet seat covers, the toilet rugs, the toilet top tank covers, and made their own business out of those scraps. So it's about the circular economy where it's just not the raw materials, it's the hearts and minds of the peoples that creates the infrastructure and the supply chain. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, you know, how do I follow that up? I think that that is, um, that's just one example of the things that are possible when the intentionality is there. Um, I think 
all too often um, we as people are kind of content with the way things are or the way that, um, you know, the larger manufacturing companies set the trends and because they set the trends, we can't change them. Um, or, you know, as a designer, I'm stuck in a specific way where I can't create for a specific body type because the industry is telling me not to. I think more and more I'm turning to and I'm finding my people that are saying no, yep. that are questioning the system and saying, but why is it this way? Mm -hmm. I and think, go ahead. I was just going to say, and you're one of them. No, thank you. Yeah. Like we, and we talked a long time about this when we onboarded is I don't, I, I don't come from a designer background. I definitely have creativity and was a self-taught photographer. And so eventually I came into become as comfortable calling myself a designer because I had to learn the fashion business and I still think I'm learning it, but I didn't want to follow any trends. That was the whole problem that I saw in, you know, I'm not following this fashion calendar. I've been able to sell swimwear, you know, 365 days a year because I'm focusing on the entire world. I'm not trying to be like everyone else. Does that mean I may grow slower than others? Great, but I want to go far. So I'll grow and build that foundation and learn my customer and my customer will find me. And, you know, and I'll maybe get some others on board, but it's, and even the way fashion works, some of the style that I first made didn't sell probably until the second year that I made it. The second style that I made is now selling like out that we're able to bring it back. So there's, there's this thing where, you know, things don't sell just because you made them. So I may have slower fashion collections. I may have um, things that I have to remarket or put, you know, keep, but I know that I'm confident and okay with that because I produce it at a volume that I know exactly what my supply and demand is. And if I have tops left over at one point in the season, then I just design a bottom to go with it. And now I didn't, I produce half of what I would have produced if it was all gone or if I would have, you know, yeah. brought it back. So we produce outside of this fashion cycle to one, eliminate the, just, you know, the, um, the volume at a certain time or a certain point in the year, which causes what we have now supply and logistics change and all these things. So we're not producing at the end of the year, December 15th, every year for the last five years, our team is offline. They're enjoying their holiday. Obviously we share us and Brazilian holidays. So we're offline relaxing, you know, enjoying our friend, our family and nothing is being produced. We've already have what we were going to produce in September by December, by the time we're all offline. And so that is not really shared until that next following season. So we're not in this rush to produce. We're not in this, you know, overproducing cycle. We have exactly what we need to sell and we continue to sell it and market it until we feel confident that this style is no longer, you know, a favorite of our customer or it's time to bring in a new style. And that's, that's one of the keys that I, I think PS Collective and some of your other partners can help with too is the data piece and the visibility and being smarter about when and how much to produce. And I think, you know, you've been doing this for, for years now and, and you kind of have that, that knowledge down, 
but you can always get smarter about your customers 100 understanding what they want um and how much to make and i think that that piece is key not leaning into the fast fashion trends and the seasons because those things are fads and if you have a larger factory and you know you're leaning into fast fashion then that i guess is great for you like it's there's a lot of inventory and a lot of waste that um goes by the wayside with that kind of mentality and that practice but if you're truly being um intentional and uh focused on a one-to-one relationship with your customers then i not only your customers but also your employees Mm -hmm. then it's a better work-life balance for everybody and it's it it's a better outcome and a better result in my opinion exactly no i definitely agree with you i definitely agree and i think that's why we continue to partner and be in conversation and you know helping other founders and brands understand that and do better you know by no means am i perfect as a founder but we continue to improve each and every day using the resources that are available and a lot of that is data and what our customers are telling us absolutely and I mean, I'm sure we could get into a whole long data conversation <laughs> at another on another podcast day. But um, I think the strides that have been made within the data perspective is way outpaces sustainability um, in the U.S. And it's it's really interesting about all of the things that are coming about and leaning into things like you know, the metaverse, as I'm sure, you know, we're all sick of hearing about now at this point, but it's not going away anytime soon. And what does that look like in the future? Um, Understanding how to relate to customers and um, how they're interacting with the shopping experience is another area that like, I know the PS Collective is looking at um, exploring in the future and and just getting a better understanding of that. That's amazing. So give us one fun fact that you'll be doing, I guess, within the next week or so for the PS Collective um, platform, any upcoming events that you're having, any upcoming things that you want our listeners to tune into, and how can we support you? Yes, awesome. So um, I'll answer it in the reverse. I would love um, anyone who's interested in checking us out can go to uh, pscollective.co or visit us on Instagram at pscollectivenyc. Um, In terms of things that are coming up that are exciting, um, we're actually looking at getting into the bridal space. So having conversations with, um, and I I was laughing earlier because you mentioned this, Tiffany, about um, getting your uh, wedding dress tailored and, and altered. And we understand that that, that is the ultimate, uh, I guess, thing that has to be tailored and it has to be perfect for your perfect wedding day. Um, and we see a lot of value in leaning uh, using the PS collective to help with that process. So that's one exciting thing. Um, the second exciting thing is, you know, continuing to plan New York Fashion Week 
Um, we are planning on um, having a show. So that's really exciting. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, amazing. Yeah. So I'm really excited to get to work with um, all of my partners on that. Um, so you'll be hearing more in the future about that. And then we're also looking to do a pop-up actually in, in Brooklyn. Um, and it's going to be a joint um, workout class and just a SIP event where you'll get to meet some of the, the designers and the, some of the brands and um, get to sign up for the website and just really exciting uh, neighborhood stuff. I'm, I'm trying to get more, you know, now that people are, the weather's getting nicer and also um, people are out and about again, I'm ready to go one-on-one -on -one with my community and get to meet them face-to-face. -face. So really exciting for that. Amazing. Well, we love New York. We love Brooklyn. Uh, we have another brand partner, Sense of Shelf, is also there. Um, we had a pop-up with them last year. It was a lot of fun. So we can't wait to be, have more visibility in New York. Um, we partner with Flying Solo. We're looking to do another installation with them. But yeah, we love we love our New York partners. We love we, we have to find any reason to come to New York. We'll be there in May, the end of May. So let me know how we can help support you and be there for you. But yeah, we always I'm trying to figure out how to get my husband and be like, okay, so now that Bold Swim has established such a community in New York, like how do we like live six months out of the year? Obviously, I wouldn't be there when it's cold because that's just not what we know. <laughs> it's not what I like either, honestly. I am not a winter person, but my New door is open trail. anytime. I am really excited to get to meet you in person because our whole relationship has been virtual. Absolutely. No, I love it. I will definitely try to message. I will message you when I get in town and see where we are and our schedules and our day and definitely will take the time to meet up. Amazing. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. This was a great conversation. Absolutely, Colette. I will definitely talk to you soon. And I look hearing more from you in the PS Collective and we'll be highlighting you as well. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.